We read about the martyrs for Christ in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Welcome to Souls Under the Altar, a program that reviews the stories of God's persecuted from the past and the present. Your host for this program is Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning into the program again today. I'm delighted to have your company. And I have a special guest in the studio and very appropriate to talk about martyrs and the persecuted. We have Tony Benjamin, the CEO for Voice of the Martyrs, come back just from a trip very recently to Vietnam and Laos to share some of the stories and update those who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, interesting, Tony, I mean, I've looked at Vietnam a number of times from a tourist perspective, thinking that'll be a nice country to go and visit. I know some people have gone to visit there, you know. I didn't realize that there was actually persecution in those countries. Yes, um, thank you for having me. And uh, yes, persecution is quite prominent there. I've lived there for two years and only returned uh, early last year from living in Vietnam. Vietnam is um, fantastic on the surface. It's Mm. a great place as a tourist if you stick to the main centers. The minute you get off the beaten track, that's where things change quite dramatically. And any foreigners are um, seen as intruding rather than just being what uh, doing what tourists do. Right. So um, what's changed in Vietnam is that the authorities are trying to limit the movement of Christians, which in turn they're trying to stop the spread of the gospel. Okay. So what happens is the minute anybody new or unknown outside of that area comes into an area, the authorities are made aware of it and they will question it. Um, the whispers go around very, very quickly because it's about the locals winning favor with the authorities for whatever they're doing, okay. uh, legal or not so legal, mm. but also the favor that they get somehow gives them status within the local area. Mm. So people are prone to dobbing you in if okay. you're not part of who's supposed to be living there. Mm. And much the same applies in a place like Laos, where your typical area or your little uh, local village is about 50 to 100 homes, and they have a, a village leader. And that village leader is in charge or then oversees everything that happens there. So if you're not part of that local area, they will know. Mm. And if your movements are slightly out of sync with what's happening in that area, they will also know. Okay, so they've got their eyes out and uh, they're almost encouraged just by the favor they can win from the authorities, I guess, to dob in people or to dob in anything that looks a little bit suspicious. Correct, yes. If I can go one step further Mm. uh, with the visit to Laos, people have lost their land. Now, what happens is that the government gives them land that is always owned by the government, but they can utilize the land and they can till the soil and they can grow uh, produce and do farming on it. Mm. But that land can equally quickly be taken away if they don't comply with what the government wants. Okay. So that's how people have been losing their land. So the alternative for them is 
to actually purchase their own land, which in a country where the average wage for a pastor, for example, is 100 U.S. a month, Mm. That's tough going. It's not possible for many people to own their own land. Sure. Okay. And those laws in regards to land ownership are reasonably well protected by the law there? Yes, they are well protected. People seem to have right of passage if they own it. Okay. But then you have to prove how you got the money to own it. (laughs) So So where churches would often tip in money and allow people to buy, those – uh, types of things don't apply any longer mm. because they are scrutinizing it. Even in a case like in Laos, um, where they arrest the pastor for having a church gathering because, firstly, for a church gathering, you have to apply to have any sort of festival outside of your normal church service. Okay? okay. Anybody coming from outside of that little district there, mm. they have to have permission to have it. So they give you permission like they had recently for a Christmas service on the 23rd or 24th of December. Yes. And if you change that date or you start your preparation the day before, you get arrested, you get put in prison. So That's how strictly they apply the law. That's how strictly they're applying the law. So they put them in prison for an average of three to six months. For them to be released from prison cost them 5,000 U.S. dollars. Mm, that is so a horrendous amount of money if you consider the average income there. When you're earning $100 a month, roughly, yeah. as a pastor. So they have a cost of going to prison. So if they put you in prison for six months, they actually calculate the cost, and you get billed for that cost as a pastor. And that will forever be a debt on your head yeah. for as long as you're there. Sure. Yeah, so it's a... It's an absolutely ruthless, ruthless situation. So there are churches there that the authorities are aware of and people can go and worship there. They have what they call legal churches. Okay. The legal churches, uh, there are about three denominations, three to four denominations in a place like, let me focus on Laos for now. Mm -hmm. In Laos, um, they have... Uh, the rubber stamp from the government, but every single thing they do, movement they make, anything they do, is managed and controlled by the government. It gets dictated to by the government. The pastors who are working under that church or as part of that church, they have an identity card which identifies where they're from, Mm. and that's the only way they can move around freely. Okay. And as far as sharing of the gospel within the church, is that being interfered with, or do they have some freedoms in regards to preaching what you read out of the Bible? They have freedoms. Uh, The government does dictate how far they can go in what they share. Mm. And any demeaning or any um, gray area comments that they make off the pulpit Will get will get pulled up on. Right, they will get pulled up on for sure. Mm. Yeah, so you're very limited to what you can do, regardless of whether you're a registered church, okay. which they call it a registered church or not. Mm-hmm. Yes. So as far as uh, you know, sharing the gospel, evangelism, and that, are there some avenues still available to the church, or is that very much restricted? There are still avenues available. The method that they've worked out that works best now is that. Everything goes through the local pastor. Okay. So any information they need, so they have to work through the local pastor, and they found that to be the most effective because he's functioning in a specific area. Mm. 
but the pastor of your underground church is still uh, kept a watchful eye on and very limited in terms of their movement outside of that area that they're designated in. So the gospel is basically then restricted to that area Mm. that they live in. And anybody that gets approached with the gospel then can complain to the village and then the pressure gets put on them to either shut it down or they get kicked out of the village and, or they lose their land, which has happened in many cases now. Right. And they've got nowhere to go at all. Okay, so you have the visible church, which is the, the church that is authorized by the government. And then you mentioned the underground church as well. Yep. So they are aware of some of these underground churches, and they also aware of some of the people who are pastors to these underground churches. Is that correct, or am I? They are aware of it. The underground church movement functions um, quite uniquely there, mm. in that people have to um, move around under cover of darkness, move from village to village. That's how they're doing it at the moment. Mm. Uh, or they have to come into a village under false pretenses, uh, right. visiting family, mm. that sort of thing. But if a person that's not from a village, even though they're local from Laos in this case, if they come into a village where they are not known, they have to register. Or they have to have registered that they want to come into that village. And in most cases, if they do try and give advance notice, the notice won't be granted. Right. Okay. So, so it's a fool's, difficult. you know, it's a fool's game they're playing. Mm. This is the game that the government's playing. So these guys just decide from the underground church. They decide we're just not going to comply. That's it. Right. Because they will not be bridled. Mm. They do not want their message sanitized. Uh, they won't compromise the gospel. Yes. And and they find ways and unique means many of which I can't speak about on radio, yes. of getting around and circumventing the rules mm. um, so that they can get the message and get the gospel out there. Okay, so that's that's very interesting. Are, are there people at the moment who are, that you're aware of that have lost their land or have been thrown in prison for their faith or for sharing the gospel? Yes, we have. Yes, we have. And we actually met a lady uh, which is quite amazing. We did an interview with her in 2006 in Laos. She had just lost her husband. Her husband was shot and killed by the authorities. He was a pastor, pastored a small church, Mm. didn't like what the authorities were doing, spoke up about it, was shot and killed. Mm. She was left with three children. She was totally um, helpless. She had no—she was helping him and assisting him in the ministry, but really didn't want to take a leadership role in the ministry. Right. Was basically forced into it when her husband died— just her personal story was that she really struggled with the fact that this is what God wanted her to do was continue her husband's ministry. Mm. This lady, since 2006, has planted 67 churches. Wow. 67 churches with a total membership that exceeds 10,000 in that 67 churches. Absolutely mm. mind-blowing story. And I had the privilege of interviewing her when I was over there. And I said to her, do you miss your husband? And she said, of course I miss my husband. Mm. But God's got a bigger purpose for me. I can't think about men at this point in time. Yes. I'm too busy with ministry, she says to me. Oh, really? okay. And she's um, 62 years old. Mm. 
absolutely amazing testimony this lady's got. And this is an underground church we're talking this about. This is underground church, yeah. 10,000 strong just from this lady's work since 2006. 67 churches, man. Mm. Absolutely amazing story. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Yeah. So there's some really faithful people, but these people have to be very circumspect in how they approach the gospel, how they share it, and how they operate with these churches. Correct, yes. And they're also crying out for more leaders. They're crying out for more literature. Mm. And this is part of the reason for going there was to find out what they need and how we can help. And it was fantastic to be able to connect with them, spend a few days with them, um, get to know their hearts, get to know their story. And what action plan we could put together when we came back here now of how we're going to help these guys. Mm. Because just in that one situation, which I've just shared with you, they need to grow 50 new leaders to help the spread of the ministry. Wow. And that is a big task for the mm. next over the next three to five years for them. So they need literature. They need support. They need help. They need motorbikes for some of the existing pastors they have to be able to get around, yes. you know. Because a lot of these villages are widespread. Mm. So they do so get around. So the gospel is sure. spreading quite well, even under those difficult, trying circumstances. I would hasten to say that after having spoken to these guys, met them in the field, the church is in a healthy place. The body of Christ is in a healthy place mm. there. It needs more resources to grow. It, it, these people need to be equipped. Right. So that they can deal with what they're facing more effectively. Mm. There are cases where newer Christians, uh, once they found out, they get the pressure put on them and they're falling away. They're going back to their old ways. Okay. And that is not an ideal situation, no, no. but it's out of a lack of knowledge. Mm. It's out of a lack of knowledge. And there are not that many resources available to them like new discipleship courses, these sorts of things. Yes. So these are the types of uh, bits of information and literature and courses that we're trying to help them with now to equip them to deal with and also to grow their faith and deal with the persecution that they will face, no doubt. Yes, yeah. yeah. As far as access to Bibles are concerned and having a personal Bible, is, is that something that's a challenge as well, or is they readily available for the underground church? No, they're not readily available. Mm. Uh, many of them get uh, smuggled through other countries. Yes. And we are assisting them with uh, quite a big um, input of Bibles. Mm. They need them in the Lao um, dialect okay. and then also the Hmong. Now, the Hmong people, they border Vietnam and Laos. And they all along that border there. And they are probably of the most persecuted people in those areas. Mm. The strange thing is that the Hmong people on the Vietnamese side, they've got an abundance of literature, but the Hmong people on the Laos side have a severe lack of it. Mm. So part of my visit there was to address that right. and get that situation rectified for them so that they have, a, um, they have some good literature available mm. and some good resources available okay. to them so they can grow their ministries there. So does the government there restrict the flow of Christian literature and Bibles, or is the Bible outlawed? The government restricts it to the registered church okay. or to the legal church, if you can call it that. Mm. But then even the legal church is, is limited by what it can actually supply. Okay. So people would often hand carry a Bible out of Thailand or Cambodia or places like that. Mm. But it's difficult to get it in their local language. 
And uh, some of the organizations that do distribute the Bibles uh, in limited amounts are charging the locals exorbitant fees. In some cases, these Bibles are given freely in other countries. They supply it for free. Yes. But some of the organizations are charging them 6 and $8 U.S. for a Bible. Now, people can't afford that. Mm. That's tough, you know. Um, so we would, uh, we would fund, we're looking at funding uh, some Bible purchases. Okay. Which we'll give to them for free, obviously. Wonderful. So we'll raise some funds for that. But if you were a local and you got caught with a Bible, you weren't part of a registered church as far as a church member is concerned, would you be in trouble or would you be able to get away with it, depending on how they, I guess, apply the law again? It depends on how saying. they apply the law, yes. In mm. some cases, some of the pastors have got a good rapport. The authorities in certain areas say, look, it's okay as long as you don't overstep the mark here. We're fine. You have your church service. Mm. Then there are other extremes closer to the seat of communism, like in Laos, where there are hardly any Christians at all, and the government just stamps them out with the most vile ways that they use so to get right. rid of people. So those are some of the more extreme areas that we're looking at changing our approach hmm. to getting the gospel spread through other means, through um, could be through um, vocational training okay. and, and that sort of thing, yeah. So as I'm listening to what you're saying, it sounds like there's some pockets where there's more freedoms because the law is loosely applied, and then some other areas where the law is strictly applied, there's strict persecution, and the church has almost been stamped out there as far as you know communism taking a very hard line with people. That is correct, yes. Mm. That's exactly the way it is. So um, we have brothers currently, believers in Christ, who are in prison for their faith in those parts of the world? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. In uh, places like Vietnam, there are a few specific areas where people have been imprisoned long term, Mm. um, starting from three to five years to 20 years. And we do support the families while they're in prison. Uh, When these people are released, we do get them medically assessed thoroughly. Mm. And many of them have got ongoing medical needs, which we fund and we um, we help them with mm. And while they're in prison The families that still have to function We assist them in either um, Teaching them to fish If I can say sure. that okay. Where we help get them skills So they can function and they can fend for themselves mm. And they can provide for themselves While the husbands are in prison We also support um, programs Where we get them to visit Many of them live very far from where The prisons are So they need to actually get there and then get approvals to go and see them because they've got limited times and schedules that they have to allow them to see their loved ones mm. and then also take along some food or something for them to eat because these guys are on rations when they're in the prison there and they're very malnourished when they sure. come out of these prisons. So we support those types of programs so at least they're in touch with their families and get to see their families while they're in prison. Mm. Yeah. And they are thrown into prison for what? Preaching the gospel, for owning a Bible, for evangelizing. What? What? What's the typical reasons that they end up in prison? Every one of them that you just mentioned. Just yes, <laughs> and right. and some and some. Mm. So yes, for just many of them for just being a Christian and mm. practicing their faith, even if they do it in their own homes, because it's out of kilter with what's being done within the area. And they are so fearful of what's in that Bible that we have and that we love so dearly. Mm. They are absolutely petrified of it because it doesn't honor anyone 
but God. Yes. They want the recognition for themselves. They want to be revered. Mm. So they see the Bible as a threat to their sovereignty or their control. It's all about control. Wow. The communist system is very different to anything else. It's a slow wearing down and sandpapering of your faith. And they just wear you down, wear you down with little subtle things where they restrict your movement. Then then you um, then you can't have your church gathering. Mm. Then you can't mix with other people that are Christians. And they just cut it off, cut it off, cut off here, cut off there, restrict your movement. Take your kids' rights away. Your kids can't go to school anymore. And they just try and weigh you down and whittle you down over time. But they're not being slack about anything. Mm. They're very, very patient people, These, you know, the way they apply communism. And China's much the same. They apply it over a period of time, and they continually wear you down. So people feel that by registering with a church mm. or registering, that's just the way of them keeping tabs on you and limiting how you move. Right. Because that's the way they're applying it. Mm. So it's a very subtle way of taking your your liberties away or your freedom of movement to be able to, in this case, practice your faith. So sometimes people are given the choice. They choose between a rock and a hard place. They they can either have all their liberties restricted or they can sign up to a church and they still have their liberties restricted anyway, exactly. but just from a different perspective. Exactly. Wow, so that's very difficult. Now, if we apply to our situation here in Australia, I mean, it's very different. We don't have to go and apply for a permit to travel if I want to go to Coffs Harbour or if I want to go down to Sydney. But you're saying in those situations you have to, and if you're going to go and visit even family, you've got to be very careful how you do that. And those those freedoms that we just take for granted here, we sometimes think, oh, you're third world country, that's how they operate. But if we had to apply those same restrictions here, it will be an outcry, wouldn't there? Yeah. We'd be very sympathetic very quickly for these poor people over there in, in that country. Sure we would. Sure mm. we would. And, you know, um, we had an interview with a, with a dear brother who's a, he's 30, 33. You know, mm. he's a pastor. This is in Vietnam, northern Vietnam. And this guy was visiting his church family in a different village. Yes. And the authorities came to find out about it. And what they did was he used to travel at night. Mm. And they would string a rope across the road so that if he crossed it, and it happened to him three times, fortunately the helmet saved him, mm. where it cut him just, just, just below his mouth. This rope struck him because it yeah. was taut across the road. Mm. So the, three times it happened. Fortunately, he wasn't badly injured. Yeah. But this is the But if it got him around the neck, it might be a very different story. Exactly. Yeah. Or if he was going faster, yes, you know, you know, it could have been fatal. Mm. But this has happened to him three times already. But you know, he says, "Look, it's not going to stop me going there. I'll just find another way of getting there." Mm. Because these, you know, they seem to be rudimentary, primitive ways of trying to stop people moving around. But they use it quite effectively because it puts fear into people. Yes, you know, it does put fear into people. Mm. So if your faith is not strong or you're not resilient enough. You will get tripped up by this, and you can understand why new Christians often falter because sure. of that lack of knowledge that they have of how to use their faith mm. to counter the work of the enemy in that situation. Yeah, I know Jesus talks about the gospel seed, you know, in that parable where the sower goes and he sows seed, and some falls by the wayside, and some in the thorns, and some in the rocks, and some in fertile soil. But obviously those who have not had a chance to take root yet, they might take root very quickly. But when the sun comes and scorches them, which is really persecution, they do wither and then fall by the wayside. 
And these are the ones particularly that need to be helped, don't they? Because they need the yes. resources. They need to have a that, 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 that beginning of that relationship with the Lord that needs to find some root so they can flourish even under these difficult circumstances. For sure. Mm. Exactly. Well, are there any other stories that sort of stand out in your mind? Because what we want to do uh, after we've shared any, any other information you have from your recent trip is obviously just to share your contact details again. So if people want to get in touch or find out more information or they want to see how they can get involved and support uh, your, your program, sure. we'll, we'll share that with them very shortly. Sure. You know, just, uh, just a, a brief story. We, we traveled to Laos, and I'd you know, like to focus on that a little bit because what was quite interesting was whatever happens in Vietnam takes about two years to get to Laos. Okay. And I had Vietnamese people in Laos with me, and we had a chance to discuss what's going on, what's applied, how it's applied, and so on. And these guys came to the conclusion that it takes between 18 months and two years. Right. So obviously we're in a race for time now to mm. try to equip Laos a little bit better so that when these things do come, we can either try and prevent it or we can equip them sufficiently to deal with it. Right. So it was quite interesting. And like I said, I, sh- I shared with you earlier, Laos is quite an interesting country with 7 million people only, whereas Vietnam has got 96 million people. Mm. They have a – their culture is more Thai. Okay. And their social culture is more Thai. But the political structure and culture is Vietnamese. Okay, which is communistic. Which is communism at its best. Yeah. So you can see how the influence of what happens in Vietnam. But likewise, you see the influence of China in the way Vietnam does things. And this limiting of the church and this limiting of people's movement, mm. that's what's applied in China at the moment. All the same rules are, are sort of cascading across where people have to register, they have to register their movement, register their church. But this is a way of them finding out who these people are, which they did not know up until now. And that is the skepticism. What I will say is that in Vietnam and in China and Laos, the church is standing absolutely firm in that they will not comply. China more so than anybody else. Mm. The church leaders have said we will not comply. They don't have enough soldiers to guard us, they said. Is that right? Yeah. So it's what fascinates me. Every time I listen to the story, it shouldn't be a surprise, but under those, in those countries where it's difficult to be a Christian, where there's a cost associated when you make a decision for the Lord, somehow the church flourishes and the church grows in spite of these things. But the problem they have is that they're growing faster than they can actually generate leaders. And, of course, the lack of leadership sometimes comes from a lack of knowledge, which is the resources, is the Bibles, and everything else that they need. So if people want to get involved and support the, the program, where can they find out more information? They can find out more by going to our website, which is uh, vom.com.au. Okay. And they can uh, get all the information they need. There's also a means of getting in touch with us through info at vom.com.au. And okay. uh, we'll be more than happy to assist, more than happy to answer any questions that they have. And also, um, we'd love them to be involved. Mm. We'd love them to be involved. So if you want to donate towards what we do and the work that we do, you can find more information on our website also. Wonderful. Well, dear listener, my special guest on Souls Under the Altar today is Tony Benjamin. He is the CEO for Voice of the Martyrs, and he's just come back from a trip to Vietnam and Laos last week. So we thank you for just giving us an update of what's happening with the persecuted church there. And dear listener, we thank you for joining us again today. We pray that God will bless you until we meet next time. Thank you.
you for joining us on Souls Under the Altar. If you'd like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you.